before you get comfortable there, Brother Dale, I'm just going to ask you to do something for us real quick, uh, and that is, uh, I'd like all of us just to sing a cappella, no instruments, just sing holy, 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 just the first, first verse of it. Will you lead us in that? Uh, something about doing things together that unites us, right? <laughs> when we take away the instruments, and there's nothing wrong with the instruments, instruments only help with our music. But when we take, the, take away the instruments for a moment, and we are bound together by just singing this song together, I don't know about you, I don't know what you felt in that moment, but to me there's something unique about it, there's something spirit-driven about it, and there's something uh, that, that unites us, that bonds us together. And there's, there's little things in life like this all over the place. I think on a, on a broad scale, all over our globe, when we have 10 seconds until the calendar rolls over to the new year, all over our world, one hour at a time, in different parts of the world, we hear 10, 9, 8... In Times Square, New York, literally a million people will gather in one spot. And also they can count 10 seconds together, okay? It's not a real high-end goal. <laughs> but they, they, they just want to be together because this little moment unites them. This little moment draws them together. I think of another way that we are united is when we go to ball games. And before that ball game starts, every one of us stands up and we place our right hand uh, over our heart and we begin to pledge allegiance to our flag. And in a moment, a brief moment, mind you, but in a moment, we are united in our love for our country. We are united in our patriotism towards the ideals of our country. I think even last week, last week we decided to do our little Indian rain dance before the, before the service started. And it was unique to see everybody start to get involved with that, even though it only lasted 20, 30 seconds at the most. Everyone got involved, and then after we were done, what did we do? We all gave ourselves, a, this was not prompted by me either. I wasn't like, give yourself a round of applause. No, we all kind of just gave ourselves a round of applause, because by doing this little thing together, it united us in a certain way. Well, what we're going to be talking about this morning is a psalm. Psalm 121 is where we will be uh, this morning. And what we have in the scriptures this morning, what little little excerpt that I'm pulling out of the scriptures this morning is from a broader range of scripture. See, we have the entire book of Psalms, but the book of the entire book of Psalms is made up of five books. And within the fifth book, there is a 15 chapter set of Psalms known as the Songs of Ascent. 
And the idea behind these psalms from chapter 120 to chapter 134, the idea behind these psalms is that as pilgrims would be making their way to Jerusalem, as they would be going to a festival of the Lord in order to worship the Lord, as they would be making their way, they would come together and that they would sing these songs together. These were songs as they were ascending the mountain of the Lord, the songs of ascent. And so people from all over the ancient world, men, women, families, they would be coming together, many of them, most of them who did not know each other, but they would gather together on their way to Jerusalem. And as they were going there, they would have the same problem that anybody at that time would have as they were traveling. There were three big problems with traveling at that time. The first one was exhaustion. It was on you, and it was on your donkey, and it was all about the work that you put in to get there. So exhaustion was a big problem for that time period and for that group. Lack of resources was another issue. This probably wasn't as big an issue for a lot of the people, but but for some people who were making that pilgrimage, and this was going to be maybe a -a once-in-a-lifetime thing for them because they didn't have the resources. They lacked resources. And then on top of that, we, we always hear about bandits. And in that time, there wasn't a lot of protection. There wasn't the, the, the police on the side of the road. There wasn't state troopers flying by. You know, there was, nothing, there was nothing like that. And so bandits were a big problem. And what I want you to see is that these people had problems. These people had struggles. These people had issues. But they came together. And as they came together, making their way to the hill of the Lord, these songs, these short little songs, 15 of them, These short little songs bound this group together. It united this group. There was safety in it. There was security in it. There was joy in it. There was peace in it. Because these songs that worshiped the Lord bound this group together. And so what what we're talking about this morning and what my prayer is this morning is that the same would be true of us. We all have our struggles and that's kind of the context in which we begin our, our Uh, Psalm 121, we all have our struggles and we all have our concerns, we all have our hurts, we all have our problems, but that God would bind us together on our journey to Jesus Christ as we focus on the Lord. So let's pray that prayer together right now. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We praise you that we have a path to travel. Lord, we thank you that you say uh, that I am the way and the truth and the life. And God, that we know that we have to take your way in order to encounter your truth in order that we may have eternal life. And so, Father, I pray by your grace, Lord, that you would walk through us this morning, Father. As in the Old Testament, when Abraham cut the animal in half and split it and your spirit passed through it, Father, I pray that you would pass through us this morning by your Holy Spirit, God, and that we would make a covenant with you to remain focused on you. God, that you would be our King of kings, you would be our Lord of lords, and that everything that this world offers and everything that this world takes away, God, would pale in comparison to what we have in you. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would help us to focus on you individually and as a body of believers, as a family of Jesus Christ, knit together by your precious hand. And God, that it would unite us. Our focus on you would unite us here today. So Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus. We we pray that you you would do this, God. We pray that you would speak to us through your word. 
God, that you would, you would speak through me as I intend and I, and I try to, to, to not take anything away from it, God, but, but, Lord, just to be faithful to it, the authority that you have spoken to us through your word. But hide me behind the cross so that you may receive all the glory. It's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. So we are, that's where we are, Psalm 121. Let's read the first two verses together. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. How many of you, by show of hands, this is a participation question, how many of you have been either to the Rockies or the Smokies or both? Y'all been? Yeah, I figured, I figured most of us in here has been to the mountains. I, in, in my opinion, we've talked about this a lot now, I'm not a beach person, Carly's a beach person, but, uh, but I am a mountain person. I love the mountains. I love going to the mountains. I think the mountains are great. And, and as you approach the mountains, I, I would say there's nary a more beautiful thing on the earth. I love it. I love going up to the mountains. And as you begin to see the mountains, all it looks like is a shadow. All way off in the distance, it's this light blue, maybe grayish kind of shadow and an outline of the, of the peaks and the valleys. And as you draw a little bit closer uh, to the mountains, you actually begin to see things. You begin to see, you begin to see the, the trees that are outlining these mountains. You begin to see the streams that run through these mountains. You can begin to see the waterfalls and the lakes that are all formed on these mountains. And it is truly a beautiful and magnificent sight. But on top of that, when you finally get to the mountains, you can't help but look at the mountains. They are absolutely inescapable. They are so big, they are so vast, that they take up the entire landscape so when you look around all you see is mountain well as these pilgrims were making their way to mount zion as these pilgrims were making their way to jerusalem that's all they could see they looked up and they saw this beautiful mountain they looked up and they saw the magnificence of this mountain they couldn't help it it was there it was right there in front of them it was huge they could not miss it and on this mountain stood a city it was the city of god it was the city of david it was the city of Jerusalem. And this was the place at this point, this was the place at this point that, that the people of God said, this is where the glory of God dwells. This is where the glory of God resounds. And so when they looked to the mountains, they were looking to and being reminded of the fact that they have an inescapable God. They have an absolutely inescapable God. Wherever they go, He will be there. God is real. God is big. You cannot hide from Him. You, read Psalm 139 is a great thing. Where can I go from Your Spirit? Where can I flee from Your presence, O God? Nowhere. Nowhere. If I make my bed in the depths, if I go up to the heavens, You are there. We have an inescapable God. And so they would go to this mountain. They would seek the face of the Lord. And when they got there... They asked an honest question. Where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? And I want you to see here, this is a real starting point. This is an honest starting point. These were real people with real issues. And I think what we do sometimes, this is a pretty familiar and a pretty uh, famous psalm. Uh, but I think what we do sometimes is we make this a rhetorical question. 
It's not a question you're really supposed to answer. Just kind of skip over it and get to verse 2. Oh, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let's skip past verse 1 and get straight to verse 2. But that's not, I don't think that's it. This is not a rhetorical question. This is an honest plea. This is saying, I lift my eyes to the hills. I know where to look. Where does my help come from? I know who God is. I know what I've heard about God. I know what I've seen. I know what I've been taught about God. But where does my help come from? Have you been there before? Have you been there before? Where you said, I know the right answer. I know that the answer is God. I know who God is. I know what the Bible says, that God wants me to have a fruitful and blessed marriage, but that's just not the way things are working out. So I'm, I'm looking, I know where to look, but where does my help come from? Oh, oh God, I know that you want me to, to be healthy in my finances. I know that you don't want me to be in debt, but all these things keep happening and all this money keeps on being having to be taken out. And so I have to be in debt. I don't understand, God. Where does my help come from? God, people are hurting me. People are against me. I don't understand, God. My heart hurts. I know that I'm supposed to be at peace. I know that I'm supposed to have forgiveness. I know that I'm supposed to be able to to handle these things under the strength of Jesus Christ. I know where to look. Where does my help come from? I don't see it. I don't feel it. I can't taste it and I can't smell it. No, I, I don't understand. Where does my help come from? The question is, will my God rescue me? The question is, will my God rescue me? And I want you to see, it is the cry of the pilgrim. It is the cry of the pilgrim. And you and I, we are pilgrims. We are pilgrims. We are on journey to Jesus Christ. We have the same sight of you. We have the same goal. We are headed to Jesus Christ. Our, our lives are to glorify the Father through our relationship with Jesus Christ. We are headed in the same direction. But this is the cry of the pilgrim. I have submitted my life to you, Jesus. I have given all that I am and all that I have to you, Jesus. Now, will you rescue me? It's an honest place. And then we get to verse 2 and we have a heart satisfying reply. My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. Now I want you to see the obvious counter to this. Because it's real easy in our lives and real natural to try to do what? To help ourselves. It's real easy and it's real natural. To, and our first reaction typically is to try to help ourselves. We tell God, I got this. Right, God, I got this. I'm not, don't worry about it. Don't, don't, you don't have to put your hand in it. And obviously we don't really say that. We just say, I'm not thinking about you. I'm not dealing with you. I'm not going to include you. And so I got this, God. And so we struggle and we fight and we scratch and we claw and we do whatever we can in order to get our way and accomplish our purpose and to have our goal and all these kind of things. And then inevitably, without fail, we mess things up. And then our response at that point is, I got this, God. All right, I messed this up. Now let me fix this, God. And so I, I messed it up. I understand that. But I can fix it. I know the way. And we keep on digging ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until finally we ask God to be a part of the equation. And that makes me think of the moral climate in our culture today, in America today. 
No one would say, I believe in this room, no one would say America today is morally better off than it, was, than it has been in the past. I don't think, I feel very confident in, in everyone that I've talked to saying that that would be a, a blanket statement that I could throw over the top of Wesson Baptist Church. But let's ask the question, why? Is it because God has left us? Or is it because we have ceased to look to the hills? See, what we do when I throw out a broad example like America, <laughs> what we do is, is we're like, yeah, hallelujah. You're right. Let's let God bring fire on America. Bring repentance to America. Lord, come down on America. But what we don't understand when I talk about our country, when I talk about America, is America is merely a macro-level version of a micro-level problem. That is, we are not lifting our eyes to the hills. We are not lifting our eyes to the hills and our families in our church, in our business, and in our personal lives. We have stopped looking to God. We have stopped looking to Christ. We have begun and continue to look to ourselves and to look to others. Some of you may say, Nelson, that is a broad statement. That is a bold statement. How dare you point your finger at me and say what I am doing? Listen, when I make my decisions, I do pray. When I make my decisions, I do talk to God. When I make my decisions, this, this is important to me. And so I do include God in these things. But I still think that, and, and I just want to be honest with you, I still think there's an issue. I still think, I mean, praise God for that, first off. If that's you, if you're sitting in this room and you can be honest in your heart and say, God is a big part of everything that I do. God is a big part of every decision I make in my family and in my business and in this church and all that kind of stuff. If you can say that, hallelujah, praise God, you're in a good spot. But there still may be a clinging issue. There still may be something holding on. And I want to show you what it is, and I want to do it by giving you an example. This past week, uh, Carson was in my office. And uh, for those of y'all who visit the office, you know that the front door to the office going in is a heavy door. And so for, you know, you have to struggle a little bit. It's not, not the end of the world, but you got to struggle a little bit to get inside of the office. Or more importantly, to get out, <coughs> excuse me, of the office. And so Carson was here and he, he, was, he was in the office and he was trying to get out. And he said, Daddy, I got it. Let me, let me handle this, all right? And so he grabs onto this door, and he starts jerking on this thing, and he is, ah, 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 I mean, just grunting and grunting and grunting. He starts kicking, he starts flailing, and he cannot get this thing to move. So I say, Carson, would you like me to help you? I can open the door for you. Well, that just makes him mad, right? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? No, I got this. And so he grabs on even tighter, and he pulls even harder, and he cannot get this, this door uh, to budge. And so after a while, I, I just let him wrestle with it for a couple of minutes. And after a while, he, uh, he looks at me. He says, Dad, can you open the door for me? You know, the inevitable just kind of happened. Dad, can you open the door for me? And, and, and I think that's a good picture of where we are, right? We struggle, we struggle, we struggle until we get to the point where we say, I can't do it. And then we give it to God, right? That's not a good thing. It would have been easier for Carson right at the very beginning to say, Dad, can you open the door for me? But... But sometimes that's our, that's our M.O. As we struggle, we struggle, we struggle. And then we ask God to step in. But here's the problem. 
I go to open the door for Carson, and he's still holding on to the knob. And I say, Carson, I can't open the door unless you move, unless you let go. That's what he told. Me. That's when he told me, but I don't want to let go. I don't want to let go. See, when I came to this text, I had a big question in my mind. Why is there a question in this text in the first place? Why is there a question in the first place? Where does my help come from is the question. My question was, if I'm already lifting my eyes to the hills, why is there ever a question of where does my help come from? If I'm already lifting my eyes to Jesus Christ, if I'm already lifting my eyes to the Heavenly Father, if I'm already lifting my eyes to the Holy Spirit, then why is there a question in the first place of where does my help come from? Because if, if we're lifting our eyes to the hills, we ought to know the answer. We ought to know the answer. We, ought to, we, we know it mentally, right? We've been in Sunday school long enough. We know it mentally, but we ought to know it experientially because God is faithful. God is not just a, a God of words. God is a God of actions, okay? And so he's not just going to say, this is what I do, and then let us just uh, you know, fiddle around and, and nothing ever happen. No, he says, if this is what I'm going to do. I am not going, my word is not going to return void. I'm going to do it. I'm actually going to do it. So, so if we lift our eyes to the hills, then we should be able to say, I have seen God do it. But the fact that the question is asked tells me something. It tells me that even when we ask God for help, we still don't let go. Even when we come to that point and say, I cannot do it myself we still refuse to give God all control. We talk about people coming to the end of their rope, right? All the time we say, God, for such and such person who's in such and such bad situation, Lord, would you just take them to the end of their rope? What we're really praying is, God, would they run out of options? Would they run out of anything else that they could cling to other than you? Now, what, what makes us think that we are any different than that person? What makes, us, what makes us think that we need to do anything differently than say, God, I can't cling to anything but you. I shared a personal testimony a couple of months ago about Caroline. About how, you know, when we first, around Christmas time last year, we first, she started having these spasms and stuff. And man, we were freaked out and we were not in a good place. And the problem was I wanted to control it. I wanted to control it. When, when the doctor here said, I can't figure it out, I wanted to take her to the doctor over there. And I just wanted the whole thing to be under my guidance, under my control, under my care. But I am not the maker of heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. What control do I have? All I proved in my stubbornness was that I did not have faith and I did not have trust in God, but I had faith, a feeble faith and a dumb faith in myself and, a, and an unwise trust in myself. And of course, this is what we do. This is what we do as parents. This is what we just do in general. This is what we do. We justify it by saying it was done out of love. It's because I love my little girl so much is the reason that I wanted to keep it under my control. But do you know what love is? Love is doing what is best for someone else, even if it hurts you. I was not loving her by trying to control the situation. 
loving her would have said, God, she's all yours. I'm getting out of the way. I trust you. See, when we refuse to let go, even if we ask for help, when we refuse to let go, the same question will always come to our heart. Where does my help come from? Think about it from a biblical point of view. Sarah and Abraham. God makes a promise to Abraham. He's 85 years old. And he makes a promise to Sarah, and she's 75 years old. Guess what? (laughs) All the nations are going to come through you, man. I'm going to bless you. You are going to have an inheritance as numerous as the stars and the sand on the seashore. Wow! Fortunately, 10 years pass, and then 12 years pass. Sarah says, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, uh-uh. Can't quite let go of control. I can't quite believe that what God told me is actually true. That is, I don't really know where my help comes from. So she tries to handle things on her own. She insists that Abraham sleeps with her maidservant, Hagar, and they bear a child named Ishmael. And so we see that sin begets sin. That her sin was the lack of faith. Her sin was lack of trust in God the Father. Her sin was that God was not in control, that she did not see that this is where her help came from. So she decided to take charge herself, and born to us was a child that brought jealousy. Born to us was a child that brought discord and was eventually removed from the land. This was a problem. A big mess was made out of the whole situation, all because we could, she couldn't let go. All because she said, I still have to have my hand in the pot. Don't we see? Don't we see that's our option? Don't we see that that's what we do when we keep our hand in the pot and we say, God, I give it to you. (laughs) You know, God, I give it to you, but still hold on and cling to it as tightly as we possibly can, that we are messing things up. But there's something else from this passage that I think is really, really beautiful. And when I say this passage, I'm talking about Sarah and Abraham is God still fulfilled His promise. God still fulfilled His promise. And that's the example of what the rest of Psalm 121, if you're still there, that's what the rest of Psalm 121 tells us. Is The remainder of this psalm is all about what God does for us when we lift our eyes to the hills. In verses 3, 4, 5, 7, uh, twice in verse 7 and verse 8, it, we, we find the Greek word translated to watch over us, Okay? And so we have, we have the fact that God is watching over us. This Greek word means to guard and protect. And so six times in this short psalm, God says, I will guard you. I will protect you. Verse 3, he says, I will not let your foot slip. Here's the idea, guys. God is concerned with your walk. God is concerned with your walk. Charles Spurgeon says, if our foot will thus be kept... We may be sure that our head and heart will be preserved also. This is about our relationship with Jesus Christ and the fact that Jesus is the one who keeps it sturdy. Verses 3 and 4 tells us that that God does not sleep. In fact, if you look in verse 4, it says, He will neither slumber nor sleep. Slumber is the stronger word here. Slumber is the idea of what we did last night, just passed out. Sleep right here is talking about a little nap, a little cat nap. All right, so here's the idea. God's not going to pass out on you. God's not even going to take a little nap. He's not going to turn his head for one second. 
second. God is watching over us. Verses 5 and 6 says, He is as close as our shadow and shades us from the obvious harm of the day and the more deceitful and clever harm of the night, from those from the dark things that go on in uh, the figurative night. And then in verses 7 and 8, and I, will, and I will throw a New Testament twist on it at this point, because of the cross and because of its sufficiency, we are secure for now and forevermore. So what we see in the rest of this, in this psalm is the answer to the question. It's the answer to the question, where does my help come from? Well, it comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and the earth, and he does it in all of these ways. And so our, so our conclusion is, and, and the, the pilgrim's conclusion is, God is worthy to be trusted. God is worthy to be trusted. So let go. So let go. Listen, in order to have faith, let go. We have to remain focused on God. In order to believe God will do what God will do, we have to be looking at God. It reminds me of the story of Peter. Peter tried to walk on water, right? You remember this? You're in the boat. Waves come, the storm comes, it's a terrible time. So Jesus starts coming, he's just walking on water, man. <laughs> he's, just, he's just cutting through the path. And, and I love uh, Max Licato. Max Licato has such a beautiful way of writing uh, that, is, that is far beyond me. And so I'm going to lead, read a little excerpt uh, from, from his book called In the Eye of the Storm here in, in just a second. But in that book, it's talking from the perspective of one of the disciples who were on the boat writing a journal entry about it the next day. All right, and so that's the that's the perspective of it. And so what he what he what Lakato and what the story tells us is is this storm is raging. It's a it's a horrible storm. It's a it's a wild storm. It is a difficult difficult thing, and the and the disciples are panicking. They know that this might be it, and then all of a sudden Jesus is coming, and Jesus is coming, and they see him and they say it's a ghost. We got bigger problems than this storm, right? <laughs> and and then they realize no 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 that's Jesus. And he's coming at them, and, and, and they realize, okay, this, this, is, this is weird, something's going on. And then, and then Peter starts getting involved in this whole thing. And, and that's where I want to pick up, where, where Peter gets excuse me, involved in this story. He said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. The voice was Peter's. He wasn't being cocky. He wasn't demanding proof. He was scared. Like me, he knew what this storm could do. He knew that the boat would soon go down. He knew that Jesus was standing up, and he knew where he wanted to be, where we all wanted to be. Come on, Jesus invited. So Peter climbed over the side and stepped onto the sea. Before him opened a trail through, through a forest of waves. He stepped quickly. Water splashed, but he kept going. This path to Jesus was a ribbon of calm. It was peaceful, serene. Jesus radiated light at the end of the trail, smiling. Peter stepped toward the light like it was his only hope. He was halfway there when all he heard, uh, when we all heard the thunder. It boomed and he stopped. I saw his head turn. He looked up at the sky. He looked up at the clouds. He felt the wind. And down he went. Boy, did he yell. A hand came through the water sheets and grabbed Peter. Lightning flashed again and I could see the face of Jesus. I noticed that his smile was gone. Hurt covered his face. It was like he couldn't believe that we couldn't believe. 
Danger to us was just a detour to him. I wanted to ask him, aren't you afraid, Jesus? Aren't you afraid? But I said nothing. Before I knew it, he was in the boat with us. The sea stilled as silk. The winds hushed. A canyon opened in the clouds. Soft moonlight fell over the water. It happened instantaneously. It didn't take the rest of the night. It didn't take an hour. It didn't take a minute. It happened in a blink. From chaos to calm. From panic to peace. The sky was so suddenly silent that I could hear my heart pounding. I thought I was dreaming. Then I saw the wide eyes of the others and felt my clothing soaked against my skin. This was no dream. I looked at the water. I looked at Peter. I looked at others. And then I looked at him. And I did the only thing I could have done. With the stars as my candles and the stilled boat as my altar, I fell at his feet and worshipped. There are times in a person's life when, even in the midst of them, you know you'll never be the same. Moments that forever serve as journey posts. This was one. I'd never seen Jesus as I saw him then. I'd seen him as powerful. I'd seen him as wise. I had witnessed his authority and marveled at his abilities. But what I witnessed last night, I know I'll never forget. I saw God. The God who can't sit still when the storm is too strong. The God who lets me get frightened enough to need him and then comes close enough for me to see him. The God who uses my storms as his path to come to me. I saw God. It took a storm for me to see him, but I saw him. And I'll never be the same. We remain focused on God by keeping our eyes on Jesus. We remain focused on God by keeping our eyes on Jesus and His finished work. And the only way, guys, we are going to be united as a church if we make Jesus the center point we make Jesus the focus personally and corporately in everything that we do and everything that we say and everything that we think that Jesus is the center personally for you and corporately for this church scripture says I lift my eyes to the hills where does my help come from my help my help my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Where does your help come from? Where does your help come from? Where is your focus? Are your eyes fixed on Jesus? Let's pray together. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us where we won't let go. Forgive us where our way is more important than your way, where our will supersedes your will, where we have erected idols of ourselves and of others, that we are the most important thing and the, and the wisest thing. God, your word even condemns that, that he who is wise in his own eyes is worse off than a fool. God, I pray by your grace, Lord, and through your spirit, Lord, that you would help us to remain focused on you. God, that you would clear the distractions. What kind of prayer is that, God? Because the distractions continue to jump on. They don't 
stop now and then cease forever. Distractions are a part of this life. It's part of sin. It's part of corruption that we are in. But God, when we have a mountain to look at, what is a little post sign? When we have a mountain to look at, what is a little building? What, when we have a mountain to look at, God, there should be nothing, absolutely nothing, that blinds us from you. God, may we lift our eyes to the hills. And as we lift our eyes to the hills, may there be no question that you are our help, you are our source, you are our strength, you are our everything. And where you are not our everything, God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, through your Holy Spirit, that conviction would fall this morning. And we would return it to you. You are king. Let us pay tribute to our king. You are Lord. Let us bow before you. God, I love you. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you that I can look at you And I can look and say, even this morning, looking in in my own heart, diagnosing my own problem with my own pride, saying, it's not fair, God! Then looking to the cross and saying, it wasn't fair for you either. So God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that we would have the attitude of Christ. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Would we consider others better than ourselves? Would we bow before you and say, you are the king, and you are in control. I give everything to you because I love you, because of what your love has done for me. Then turn completely to everything. No corner unturned. Everything. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You would say,